You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Second John um, is where we're going to be this morning. And you say, well, no, we're supposed to be in First John. It's family traits. Well, we've we were in 1 John 24 times, so now we're moving on to 2 John. So as you find it, the book of 2 John, right after the book of 1 John, if you wouldn't mind, please stand. And uh, in honor of the reading of the text this morning, and uh, out of respect of God's Word, that's why we stand when we read it, and, uh, and not everyone does that, I understand, I just for myself, I prefer to do that. And we've officially wrapped up our time in the book of 1 John, and, but for this morning and probably maybe another Sunday, I, I plan to continue in our Family Traits series, and, but instead of being in 1 John, obviously, then we're going to be in the second letter that John wrote, uh, and that is the book of 2 John. We'll read all 13 verses. I, I say it that way instead of we're going to read the entire book, because if I say we're going to read the entire book, then people start break, breaking out Gatorade and you know, like stretching and getting ready for it. It's only 13 verses, so not too long. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning... Ye should walk in it, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which, which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is, a part, is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. But I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Well, this morning I'd like to focus on another family trait from John's letter and approach it with this question. Who's in your circle? Who's in your circle? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for allowing us to read it. I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts. You would help us to see clearly the message 
both that you were conveying here and then that the, the one that you would have me convey this morning, not that it's different, but that I could disrupt it or make it muddy or unclear. God, would you please help us to have clarity, help us to see your word for what it says, and help us then to receive it and obey it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 1 John, the book of 1 John, emphasizes the kind of characteristics that family members should have. John's perspective has been helpful in that he makes it clear, very clear with evidence, what it looks like to be part of the family. And what I've appreciated about John's approach there in the first book is that it's not how we feel, it's not how that we hope that we're part of the family, it's not that we're crossing our fingers just kind of waiting it out to find out, no, we can know that we're members of God's family based on the evidence in our lives. And I'm thankful that he was so clear about that, so simple about that. And Second John, in many ways, it carries the idea of continuing to bear those traits. This short letter was written by John at some point after the book of First John, and John refers himself to himself in verse 1 as the elder. And that term really does point to John's, both his stage of life and also his spiritual position of authority. If you think about John's position here, he's close to 90 years old, he's an older man as he writes this book, and he's the last living apostle. All the other apostles are dead at this point. John's the last one, which means that he has great respect, he has great authority among those in the churches. So an apostle was one who saw Jesus Christ with his own eyes. Now, there are many who saw Jesus Christ with their own eyes. An apostle, though, uh, that is a qualification that he would have had to have seen Jesus Christ. And, and so John opens his first letter talking about how, in the first letter in 1 John, how for three years he watched Jesus Christ. How it says over there in 1 John, in, in chapter 1, that he had heard Jesus Christ, that he saw Jesus Christ, that he touched him with his own hands. He watched him up close. So what I want you to get is that when John writes the letters that he was writing, there's nobody else alive on planet Earth that has greater authority on what it looks like to be part of God's family. Because John had seen Jesus up close for three years. He'd watched Jesus. And if a person claims to follow Jesus, then in John's mind, then they should resemble Jesus. He's like, I've seen Jesus. I know what he looks like. I know what he did. I know the words he said. I heard him speak. I saw the actions. And, and so there's nobody really with more authority to say then that if someone doesn't resemble what Jesus looks like, then, then they're probably not really part of the family. You know, he, he saw it, and he, he's showing us, here's the evidence. Here's how you look like Jesus Christ. So when he calls himself the elder, it really does fit. He's older, and he's got great authority. When a man like John wrote a letter, people would pay attention. Verse John, it's verse 1, it says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children. We see right up front then, so it's John writing, but he's writing to a specific target audience. And it says, unto the elect lady and her children. Now, we can't say for sure. I mean, I, I'm not completely convinced. There, there are kind of two trains of thoughts here. Two possibilities exist about John's audience. Some say it was written to a specific lady in the church at Ephesus where John historically is believed to have pastored for years at one point. 
So some say that it is to a lady, a specific lady in the church. And if that's the case, this is the only New Testament book that was actually written to a lady. So just an interesting tidbit, if that really is the case. Now, I'm not sure about that, um, because there's another point of view that says that the term lady is used as a personification of a local church. You know, how, how we would, might would say in the, you know, in the song, God Bless America, God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her. You know, they use the term her uh, as a personification to describe uh, a country in that case, or it could, it has been used to describe an institution like a church. It's referred to as, as a her. And so I leaned more, really more toward that interpretation Mostly because as you read the book of 2 John, he fluctuates between um, the, uh, the usage of the word you and thee as a singular and the word, then the word ye as a plural. And he also says, look unto yourselves at one point. And so, you, you know, the interpretation, you may say it's to a, a, a single, one single person, an individual, a lady, and I may think maybe it's written to a church, but what I do believe is that by John using the, the, the making use of the word ye and yourselves, he's writing a letter and the truth of this letter applies to everybody. He's not saying that this only applies to this one lady that I'm writing it to. No, by using ye and yourselves, the plural use of those words, he is saying that this is truth. These are things that apply to anybody that's a member of God's family. Anybody that's a child of God can take this and apply that. there's little debate about that. So he deals with many of the same ideas that 1 John uh, did. His primary message deals with truth and love and how we ought to teach and hear and accept and follow truth. At the same time, we ought to love one another in truth. It's a phrase John uses there in verse 1. See, apparently, the readers, those that were reading, whether it's the lady or the church, they were very good at showing love. As a matter of fact, you, they were given to hospitality based on the fact in verse 10 that he talks about those that they receive into their house. So this is a, a church uh, or a group of people or a lady. The reader is someone that is open to having people in their home. They're hospitable. They're good at showing love. But according to the context, they weren't balancing their love with truth. You understand that? They were good at showing love, but John was trying to give them some tighter framework with which to, in which to show their love. Look at verse 6. It says, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. So listen, according to John, genuine love is as important as it is. It must be guided by truth. Now, I want you to lock in here because I'm going to get through, try to get through the idea that I'm getting across, and it may seem a little bit uh, it may seem just a little bit exhaustive here. And I don't want it to be too exhausting for you. I can sense that some are already exhausted. And so, you know, the time change plays with our bodies a little bit. So let me just ask you to lock in right here. What John is saying is if a person does not walk in truth, then we aren't to express love to them in the same way that we would normally. See, you say, well, that doesn't sound very Christian-like, and, and I get that, I understand, but, but think about John's point. Look down in verse 7. 
It says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So here's John saying, I rejoice that your, that your children are walking in truth, but you're loving in such a way that is kind of worrying me a little bit. Because you're opening yourself up to people that don't believe like you do. And so when I say, when John says then, love but have some framework of truth, he's not saying it so that, that the reader would look at somebody who doesn't believe like them and shun them. It's not so that the reader would look at somebody who doesn't believe like them and shame them. The point is not shunning. The point is not shaming. The point is protecting what you have. See, he's saying you have to place some limitations on how much you express love to others if they don't believe like you, because I'm telling you, they could be deceivers. And see, in our, in our culture, a lot of people um, are saying that you know, the walls of doctrine or denominations should be torn down and we should just love one another. And as much as I believe in love, I also balance that with an illustration of a doctor. Because a doctor wants to just accept people for how they are. A doctor wants to love people for where they are. And he wants to give good news. But how good of a doctor would he be if he sees something on a scan, but out of love, he doesn't tell you about it because he doesn't want to hurt your feelings? No, a doctor would, would tell you that there's something wrong inside there so that you would have an opportunity to fix it. See, that's the balance of truth and love. I mean, in our day and age, everyone says, well, tear down the walls and, and we don't need denominations and, and we don't need uh, all the doctrine and the different beliefs and, and we should just tear it down in love. And listen, I believe that we should love. While we should love, though, love is not the supreme priority in a body of believers. Now, we know it's the chief expression of God's work in us over in 1 John um, chapter 3, he was talking about, he said, Behold, what manner of love that God hath bestowed upon us that we, should, that we should then go forth and give the same love that God has shown us. I mean, what manner of love? We should love. You and I should make a habit or make a practice of loving each other. I mean, that should be a, a, the, the single most important mark of the Christian. Most people don't love like that. Most people are more interested in themselves. We should love. But we have a limitation based on truth. See, truth comes first. Doctrinal purity comes before unity. And and I want to be careful today. I don't want to seem like I'm mean or standing up here and, and creating division. I'm not. I'm giving you John's message today. See, in other words... We follow God's truth and we let that determine how closely we fellowship with other believers. We look at truth first. And as we've heard in this series, love doesn't always look like tolerance. As a matter of fact, true love rarely looks like tolerance. Because if someone is in danger, tolerance would say accept them where they are. But love would say, no, I I accept you where you are, but I love you too much to let you stay there Here's where you're going to go wrong. Here's where you're going to destroy your life. Love tells somebody the truth. So if someone's in danger, we don't just accept where they are. We tell them the truth. 
Do you realize how quickly things break down if truth is compromised? I mean, if false doctrines sneak in, there, there isn't any unity. And I know this is not popular, but it, again, this is what John wrote. Purity of doctrine is the priority over unity. The greatest unity comes when God's people wholeheartedly embrace God's truth. So truth leads to the greatest expression of love and unity. And again, I know this can get real busy in here. Just pay attention. We'll get to the application here in a moment. John is not saying that love isn't important. He's saying that the fullest expression of love is a result of unity around truth. It starts with truth, folks. You know, our priority here at Eastside Baptist Church is to be doctrinally accurate. We want doctrinal purity. We want to follow God's word. We're we're not doing it out of pride. We're not doing it because, you know, we've got something no one else does. No, we have the Bible just like everybody else does. And we're trying to read it and follow it and know what it says. We're trying to make sure that this book is our guide for faith and practice. We don't, we're trying not to submit to traditions and, and to cultural expectations. Our priority is a literal interpretation of truth right out of God's Word. That's what we're doing. It's our standard. And listen, we cannot love as we should if truth is not important. Look at John's warning in verse 9. He says, Whosoever transgressive and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the father and the son I mean he makes it very clear no bones about it to John here we go to John what a person believes about Christ is the single most important doctrinal position they take the Gnostics in that day were denying that Christ came in the flesh The Jews in that day were saying that it wasn't really the Messiah, he wasn't really God. They were trying to cast doubt on the deity of Jesus Christ. But listen, if someone does not believe that Jesus Christ is God, according to John, they don't have eternal life. What you believe about Christ today, what you believe, your stance on the deity of Christ and who he was, is everything to your faith. 1 John in 5.12, he said, That if you have Christ, you have life. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have eternal life. See, what you believe about Jesus Christ, it means everything in regards to where you spend eternity. So I want to plant that seed, and I'll get back to it here at the end. But folks, today, if there's somebody in this room right now, and you're not sure that if you died today, that you would spend eternity in heaven, here's the one single most clarifying position that, you, that helps you to know, do you have Jesus Christ? If you have Christ, you have life. If you do not have Christ, you do not have life. That's what the Bible says. Now listen, as important as love is, if someone's doctrine is wrong, if someone's doctrine is false, specifically what they believe about Christ, then we have to place a limitation on how far love and fellowship go in order to protect doctrinal purity. When someone denies the truth, true Christian love and unity are destroyed. The strongest love is built on pure doctrine. And here in verse 10, look what he says. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Wow. He says, if the deceivers and the antichrists that deny Jesus Christ, if they come to you, 
You're not to show them hospitality. You're not to greet them with a blessing or encouragement. And as if that's not hard enough, and if that, as if that's not direct enough, look at verse 11. He says, For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Wow, John. He's saying if you encourage or you receive openly a deceiver, that someone who rejects that Jesus is who he said he was and is trying to convince others of that, then you bear responsibility in that deception. Man, good night. I mean, he, he just kind of calls it like he sees it, doesn't he? Well, you know, he is, he is almost 90 years old. You know how people get, when they get to be a little bit older, it's like they don't hold anything back anymore. You know, honestly, I'm kind of thankful for that. The, dis, the diplomacy kind of goes out the window, and what we need to hear is just said. And I'm thankful for that. Now, if you're like 40 and you're saying, well, it's just old age. No, come on. I mean, it doesn't give you a license to just be mean to people, but... I'm thankful that some people just give it straight sometimes. I've needed that in my life. That some people will just tell me like it is. They'll just come out and say, no, this is the truth. And that's what John's doing. He says, if someone, does, if someone says Jesus is not God, then they don't have the Father, they don't have eternal life. If someone comes to you and they're saying Jesus is not God and they're deceiving others and trying to get others to think that same thing, don't let them in your house and don't even bid them Godspeed. If you bid them Godspeed or God bless you or encourage them along the way, you are partaker in that evil deed. Man, pretty extreme. And you know, it's kind of tough to hear in our culture, isn't it? No one wants to hear the hard, direct stuff because, you know, we're told to love, there's a ca- yet there's a category of people, according to John right here, that we're not to be so open to. Now, be careful not to twist John's words. He's not saying that we should never speak with someone who has a different doctrinal stance. That's not what he's saying. Remember, here are his warnings. The first one is about a person's position on the deity of Jesus Christ. So that one is the important one. The second is that this is about the intentions of that person, meaning John calls them antichrist and deceiver. So this is a person that does not believe that Jesus Christ is God, and they're actively out there trying to deceive other people. So don't take his words and say, well, you know, the pastor said, I'm not supposed to talk to anybody or be nice to anybody that has a different doctrinal position. That's not what I'm saying. But if someone does not believe that Jesus Christ is God, and they're actively going out trying to deceive others about it, that's where we have to start drawing lines. And I'm not saying that you go home and you cut ties with all of your family members if they go to a different church than you. That's not what I'm saying. But from John's perspective, if they're deceivers and we welcome them with open arms and we bless them in their efforts, there is a chance that we would get caught up in their deception and thus risk our doctrinal purity and destroy the unity of Eastside Baptist Church. We must understand, here's the family trait today, and this will lead into the application, is that every family member bears a responsibility to protect truth. Every family member bears a responsibility to protect truth. You must know what you believe from the Bible and be willing to protect it. The way that John recommends protecting truth is then to limit contact with deceivers. And he uses the phrase, into your house. So obviously, something had happened in which an act of hospitality had led them to put themselves in a position to be deceived. 
They let people into their home and it put them at risk. If you bring someone into your house, that implies a close, personal, face-to-face interaction, doesn't it? If you bring them into your home, you sit down for dinner, unless they're in the basement and you're upstairs, you're sitting across from each other, you're talking, you're having fellowship. John is saying this close personal interaction with people that don't believe like you is dangerous. Be careful. Be on guard. In verse 8, he even says if we don't guard what we, what we'll, what we have or what we've worked for, the word he uses is rot. Look to yourselves in verse 8 that we lose not those things which we have wrought, those things which we have worked for. If you aren't careful by allowing deceivers to get close, then you will lose what you've worked for and you'll miss the reward. See, much labor had gone into truth. I just want you to think about it. You know, we take, it, we take for granted that we carry a Bible around with us today, but back then there wasn't even a Bible yet. So the truth of God's, God's truth, Jesus Christ being God in the flesh, those things were still a little bit, in John's mind, up in the air. He's thinking, you know, if enough people believe the deceivers, then all the truth that us apostles have lived our whole lives and given our lives for will be gone. He's thinking, this is very important. We don't know that the truth will be preserved. If, if that church over there in, in Ephesus, if that one stops believing, then who's going to carry on truth? If that church over here stops believing, who's going to carry on the truth? We don't want to miss out on the truth. We don't want to risk the truth. We don't want to risk the truth being gone because of deceivers. This is not a small thing. John's whole life had been given to protecting truth. The apostles' doctrine is is what we still carry around in our hands today. And if someone hadn't preserved it or died for it or worked to make sure we did, we would have no truth. This is not a small thing. John was saying, be on guard, be careful. I think we lose sight of how important it is that we guard doctrine. And it seems like, and I'm just, some things that I've even read, it seems like truth doesn't matter all that much anymore to people. See, here's what it is. These days, people aren't choosing churches based on what a church believes. Recent studies, and you could look it up too, recent studies show that people choose a church based on, okay, we want to hear good sermons, we want to have a warm welcome, which, you know, we need that. We need good sermons, we need a warm welcome. We need people standing out here when people walk in to greet them. It's not a bad thing. That they're looking for a certain worship style. They're looking for a convenient location. And they're looking for good child care. That's what people are looking for. Basically, most people choose where they worship based on their preferences or how it benefits. Purity of doctrine, from what I can tell, it's not really a major factor for most church shoppers. People aren't looking and saying, okay, what do they believe about Jesus Christ? What do they believe about this or that? All the, I mean, it shows how far we've come from the days of John's letter when he's telling them to carefully guard the, the doctrine, the truth, because it's valuable. All the apostles except John died for this doctrine that we hold in our hands. To him, it was everything, but in our culture, it's way down the list. But look at the implied result if we don't guard it. It says, look not to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. 
See, John is saying that we must not lose what we've worked for in order to have a full reward. The opposite, then, is true, is that if, if, the, if we lose what we've worked for, what we've wrought, the truth, then we don't have a full reward. And when we stand before God, if we have not made truth, truth enough of a priority to protect it, we won't receive a reward when we stand before God in heaven. This is so important. And yet so many people don't seem to really care. Friends, truth is worth protecting. So we get that from this letter. It's obvious. But what's the application? So we could say it this way. Based on John's admonition down in verse 12 about who you let into your house, John is warning the family to guard who they let inside their circle. John is saying you need to guard who you let inside your circle. If a person is in your home, they're inside the circle. In the reader's case here, they were putting themselves at risk of deception by whom they were allowing to step inside their circle. Because the people in your circle will influence you one way or the other. See, I'm going to try to illustrate this somehow. And let's see, I'm looking for three younger men, maybe over in this general vicinity. Hey, you three guys right here. Perfect. Will you three guys come up here with me? Yep. Come on up. And, and I'm going to try to, to, uh, to illustrate this in a certain way. And um, you, you look the most evil, Josh. So you come stand right over here. I need you guys, one on the other side of the pulpit, one on this side. I need you looking at each other. Hey, go over there. There you go. Okay, so I need both of these guys. Now, this is going to be a little bit awkward, okay? Which is perfect, okay? So I would like for you just to stand right here and face this way. And you stand here and face that way. Reach your hands out, both of your hands all the way out, as far as you can. They don't have very long arms. Okay, so I want you to lean forward and grab each other's hands. There you go. Hold them tight. Hold them tight, okay? Now, I know that's a little awkward, but the illustration here today is this. We're going to say that the Bible, because they've got the Bible right here, this represents truth. The pulpit represents truth. So we would say that these two guys have a circle that is centered around truth. Their circle of truth is dependent on this pulpit right here. And they're tightly holding each other's hands. And it's getting sweaty and it's great, okay? They're holding each other's hands tightly. They have a tight circle of truth. It's based on the truth right here. But then you have somebody who's an antichrist and deceiver. Keep holding. You gotta hold hands. And see, let's say that this guy, his concept of life does not center around truth. He's not concerned with truth at all. As a matter of fact, he doesn't believe truth. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. We'll say that he's, he would be the influence that draws one of these guys away from the truth. So if Josh over here is standing right here, and he says to Josiah, Hey, Josiah, come stand by me. Say that. Oh, come on. Okay, come on. Ready? Say it real loud. Hey, Josiah, come stand by me. See, Josiah might be tempted to, but because they're so passionately locking fingers here, <laughs> Josiah is not likely to walk away from this because he's got somebody pulling him in the opposite direction. They have a strong circle formed here. That's right. 
and it's centered around truth. They've locked hands, and I know it's a little bit awkward, but it really is a symbol of the kind of circle that you need in your life around truth. And Josh could say all he wants to, hey, Josiah, come by me. Josiah, get over here, he says. But Josiah has got a circle of truth. And as long as Josh is standing over here, Josiah is fine. But as soon as Josiah turns and looks, Josiah turn and look, and extends his arm, keep holding, <laughs> but extends this arm and says, come over here, man, this is getting really awkward, and pulls him in. Now, who has he led inside his circle but somebody that doesn't believe the same truth? So now, Josh is locking hands with Josiah. This is glorious. <laughs> See, before, there was no option for Josiah to be pulled away. But now all Josh has to do is this right here. And he's pulled Josiah out of his own circle. By allowing somebody, you can, there you go. By allowing somebody inside the circle that didn't believe like Josiah does based on truth. Once, jo once Josh got his hand in there, all he had to do was pull a little bit. And now Josiah's circle of truth is broken and he's off somewhere else. You guys can sit down. Thanks. Go wipe your hands vigorously on your jeans. See, that's the illustration that I'm trying to get to you today. Who's in your circle pulling you away from the truth? See, the people in your circle will either draw you closer to truth. If it's centered around truth, they're going to pull you in. They'll either draw you closer to God or they will pull you away from God. One of my favorite verses when I deal with young people about choosing their friends is Proverbs 13, 20, when it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And what I like to tell them is if you spend time around wise people, you'll be a smart teenager. But if you spend your time around fools, you will be destroyed. If you spend your time around wise people who make good decisions and put God first, you're going to be wise. But if you spend your time or hang out with people that are fools, you will find yourself destroyed. And the best way I ever heard somebody rephrase that is when they said this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your circle and I'll show you your future. Your friends today are an indicator of where you will be tomorrow. And that's not just a teenage principle. That's a principle that all of us need to listen to. Who you let inside your circle can either wise you up or destroy you. I think about young people and far too many people are flipping about who they let in their circle. I think about young people that choose friends based not on godliness but on who's cool. A lot of young people are out there looking like, you know, who, who could I hang out with that would make me appear cooler in my peers' eyes? Young people, it's not worth it. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of cool, I mean fools, shall be destroyed. The coolest kids that you know, if they're not the godliest kids you know, then you, by hanging out with them, you become a companion of fools. We've got some singles, some... Some men and ladies who are in their early 20s or they're single, they don't have, they're not married to somebody, and they are just looking for some kind of a connection. And I'm glad that many of you have found connection here at Eastside Baptist Church. But the danger is when you're spending time by yourself and there's not really anybody else, you know, around you most of the week, you start looking for connections in other places. 
And maybe it's your coworkers who, who don't always do right and, and they're out maybe partying in the evenings or on the weekends and they invite you along and most of the time you very vehemently say no, but this one time you're thinking, I'm lonely, I want a connection. And you say yes that one time. And what used to be a pretty strong bond of truth around the truth of God's word, this circle right here, now you've opened your hand and you've kind of leaned over and taken somebody else's hand, and all they have to do is give you a little tug, and that circle of truth has been disconnected. We've got singles in this room that are trying to find connection in other places rather than people that are based on truth. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Parents, are we being too loose with whom we allow inside our children's circles? Their closest influences today are a glimpse into their future. Both their friendships, through media, through the things that we allow them to listen to or watch, or the things that we let them take in. And sometimes the parents are the ones responsible for breaking that strong circle of truth in their children's lives. Church members, not just young people have to be on guard that coworker, that or that family member, or folks, listen and be careful. And I know this is not the kind of thing people like to hear, but that online relationship or that work relationship that's developing that maybe isn't everything, there's not everything right about it, and you're not really sure where it will lead, it's starting to form. I'm telling you, be careful. Look unto yourselves. Because who you let inside your circle will either lead you to wisdom or it will lead you to destruction. Church member, one major application here in my mind is technology, and I appreciate technology, and um, there's a strong movement, though, to disconnect from a local church family and be, to become more connected digitally to play, people in places that are nowhere near you. We've got a lot of people, and again, I don't, I don't begrudge this. I'm thankful for those that work hard to make this uh, something that's possible. But we've got a lot of people that have, have started staying home from church because they can just stream the services. And I think streaming services, I think it's a great concept. I think it's a great idea. We even have a podcast that we put the sermons from, from our church on. I think it's great. But if it ever gets to the place where it pulls you from the circle that God has intended for you to be a part of, then I'm not thinking it's as helpful as we think it is. And not only that, we allow people into our circles without even opening our front door now because we have a smartphone. And we've got a lot of people that are listening to others teach and preach and share and give devotions that may not even believe like you, but because God is in the title of their podcast, we're just openly accepting everything that they say. And we've got to be careful because people today are disconnecting from a local church. Through technology and media, they're being fed throughout the week from somebody they've never met. And even if their doctrine is close, the deception comes when we start believing that it's an adequate replacement for God's plan through the local church. Be careful that we lose not those things which have been worked for by unplugging from God's intentions in a local church to connect with somebody you've never met. Listen, God's plan for your spiritual growth is based on face-to-face -face relationships in a local church. 
And you say, well, I, I can find God in other places. And I, I, that's fine. I've many times opened my Bible in the woods or in the mountains, and I have met with God, and I'm thankful for that. It's fine. But Ephesians 5 says very clearly that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. In other words, he died for the church. This, this is not an optional involvement in God's mind if you're a believer. He established the New Testament church to both glorify himself and grow believers. It was never his intention for God's people to disconnect from a local church and go be a plant that kind of grows on their own somewhere. No, he loves local New Testament, Bible-believing, doctrinally pure churches so much that he died for them so that you would have a place to go and grow and become all that you're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. God's plan for your Christian life and growth is a local church that stands on truth and practices love. And you say, well, I'm just not sure. Look at verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. See, obviously, John has a lot more to tell them. Maybe more warnings. Maybe he ways to be on guard. He says, I have a lot more that I want to write to you. Maybe he's just trying to encourage them. We don't know. But what we do know is he says there's an even better way for me to help you. Here's the better way for me to help you. He says, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So he says, the words that I write down, and and understand, he's saying, I want to write some more to you. I want to write some words down. I want to write words on a page, and those could be helpful. But he says, but would be even better. You know what would be even better, church? It's for me to come physically to you, have some good old-fashioned face-to-face interaction, and that is fully the fully realized benefit of being part of the family. Face-to-face is where joy is fulfilled. You know, this, this helps me to have this strong opinion as a pastor that as good as technology can be and as good as all of those things can be, it could never replace the face-to-face relationships that God appointed as our primary method of Christian growth through a local church. John says it right here. So here's the interesting contrast in his letter. He says, be careful of being too close with deceivers. Don't let them in your home. Don't wish them well. Limit your contact with people that not only don't believe what you believe, but are actively trying to pull you away from your circle. Limit that interaction. Be on guard about who you let into your circle. But he follows that up with this. You need the right people in your circle. You need some face-to-face interactions with people that believe like you. He says, I trust that I can come and see you and be close and have fellowship. You need to let somebody in your circle who's not trying to deceive you, but instead wants you to become all that you're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. Think about the contrast. On one hand, he's saying, if you allow deceivers and antichrists into your circle, you will lose what we've all worked for our whole lives, and your reward won't even be full. But if your circle is made up of believers that are centered around truth, those face-to-face interactions will result in joy that is full. So on one hand, if the people in our circles pull us away from truth, it causes us to lose what we've worked for and we don't have full, full rewards. But if we allow people into our circle that are based on truth and that becomes our circle, then we have joy that is full. So your options are let the wrong people in. 
miss out on God's best for your life. Or let the right people in and experience God's best for your life. Show me your circle and I'll show you your future. That's John's message. If you want fullness of joy instead of empty rewards, you need to let the right people into your circle. I'm going to say that one more time. If you want fullness of joy instead of empty rewards, it's time to let the right people into your circle. I've got four categories of people this applies to, and then we'll be done. Category number one is the unsaved. And for some of you, there's one person you need to let into your circle above all else, and that his name is Jesus Christ. See, church involvement isn't going to help you until you meet Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's what you need to know. If you're unsaved and you've not met Jesus, Romans 3.23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. Second, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Because of your sin, you've broken God's law. You've offended Him, broken His commandments. You deserve to die for your sin. You deserve to pay the consequence of eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can look for salvation everywhere else and you won't find it until you, number one, believe that you're a sinner. Number two, recognize the consequences you deserve. Number three, accept Jesus Christ's payment for your sins on the cross. And then fourth, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can let Jesus inside your circle today. And that's where your Christian life begins. It starts with Jesus Christ. If you don't have him, you don't have eternal life. And if you were to die today, you could die today. And if you were to die today without Christ, you'd spend eternity separated from God. So that's the first application is to the unsaved. Let Jesus in your circle. The second application is to the unprotected. Family member, who have you let into your circle? You're a part of God's family. You know that you're saved. But you've allowed all these other influences into your circle. And they're pulling you away from truth. Are you entertaining things in your heart that is not helping you walk with God? Have you allowed people into your life that don't care about God or don't care about truth or aren't helping you in your walk with God? It may be time to have a circle purge. Reevaluate who you're letting inside your circle. So we've got the unsaved, we've got the unprotected. Third, we have the unattached. It's not enough to cut off the influences that aren't helping you in your walk with God. You have to replace those with somebody that will. Friend, today that place to start is in a local New Testament church because that's God's plan for every believer. You need truth-based, face-to-face fellowship and accountability. Friend, you are welcome here. You're welcome at Eastside Baptist Church. We want to help you become all that you're supposed to be in Christ. And it's not about our offerings, and it's not about our numbers. We have a heart for you. We know we're not perfect. We know we fail. We have shortcomings. We're sinners just like you. We're on the journey of Christian growth just like you. And if you're looking for a perfect church, then I would suggest you tr- go find one somewhere else. Because we're not perfect. 
But what you will find here is believers who've come to realize that Christ loves the church, and we should too. And that we need a church to protect ourselves and grow like we should. And that fullness of joy is dependent on truth-based, face-to-face interactions with each other. We need this. I need this place. We need this place. My family, my wife needs this place. My children, they need this place. They need the face-to-face fellowship and interactions with other people who want their best and are looking out for them, who help keep them accountable, who help call them on things when they need to hear it, who expose them to truth. And I, I love for my children to look around and see grown women and grown men who live godly lives so that they can have somebody to watch and look after and say, I want to be like that. We need this place. We need it. And as much as you may not want to admit it, I'm telling you, based on strong evidence and the support of God's word, it is God's plan for you to be a part of a local New Testament church. You need a church family. You need the help in growth. You need the accountability. You were not meant to live the Christian life apart from a biblically biblically based local New Testament church. So we've got the unsaved, we've got the unprotected, we've got the unattached, and we've got the uninvolved. And we've got church members here at Eastside, a lot of actively involved serving, but we do have some that are right now living isolated Christian lives. You may even be a member, but you're disconnected. And maybe you come late and you leave early and you don't have very many solid face-to-face relationships, your growth and fullness of joy is strongly dependent on the personal relationships with other believers that you form right here at Eastside Baptist Church. If you've withdrawn yourself from God's intended circle here, you're missing out. And the more isolated you are, the more prone you are to lose what's been worked for and miss the rewards. The more isolated we become, the less on guard we are. We're not hearing consistent truth. We aren't accountable. We're not encouraged. And we find ourselves seeking connection outside of the circle that God intended. And it jeopardizes God's plan for your spiritual life. We've got some that are uninvolved and need to jump back in. We've got some that are unattached. And maybe you could find God's purpose for your life and your family as members of Eastside Baptist. We've got some that are unprotected and you're allowing all of these influences in and it's pulling you away. And then we've got some that are unsaved and it's time to let Jesus Christ into your circle today. Who's in your circle? It may be time to protect it. Maybe time to purge it. Maybe time to reevaluate it. It may be time to open it up to the people out there who want your best. Your joy and rewards depend on who's inside your circle. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.